Turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark is in the New Testament. It's the second book of the New Testament. If you find it, say amen. amen. Then don't, don't settle for Matthew. And if you're joining us for the first time, or if you're joining us online, here at Southside Bible Fellowship, we believe that since the Bible is God's word, and that everyone who believes in Jesus is a child of God, then say it with me. The Bible is God's word for us. Father, we come before you this morning acknowledging your presence, knowing that, Lord, you have a message for us. We pray that you may give us hearing ears and a heart that desires to obey you. We pray that you may accomplish through your word what you want to accomplish this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Children, you are free to go. So our text today, Mark chapter 8, it's a short passage from verse 22 to 26. It's one of those texts that uh, give us a unique glimpse on how our relationship with Jesus Christ looks like. But before we read Mark chapter 8, verse 22 to 26, let us look at Mark chapter 8, verse 14 to 21, just so we may know how this passage, this event develops and what it brings to us. From verse 14 of Mark chapter 8, the disciples had experienced a miracle, Jesus feeding thousands of people. And then they were in the boat with Jesus, and Jesus told them, be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of the Herodians, referring to the sinfulness of their practices and their influences. But the disciples did not understand what Jesus was talking about. And they said to themselves, it is because we have no bread. Yeast in the Bible is used to symbolize sin. It shows how sin affects people. And so Jesus turned to them, in verse 17, he says, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they said, 12. Then he asked them again. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of 
basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they answered, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? So he warns them and then he rebukes them for their lack of understanding. It is with that warning and that rebuke that our passage comes to life. In our passage, if you can look with me to at, at verse 22, they came to Bethsaida, to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He's a blind man. His friends decide to bring him to Jesus, believing and knowing that Jesus is not only able to heal, but he is willing to heal. So they bring him to him, but they bring him with a prescription in mind that he may touch him and heal him. They're not just bringing him to be healed. They also know how he should be healed. Because I want to, to avoid taking more time than necessary here, I'm going to give you the first point there. Faith does not tell the Lord how to minister to his people. Faith does not tell the Lord how to minister to his people. Faith accepts what the Lord does. We are in many times tempted to think that the same way God deals with us is the same way he should deal with someone else. No. No. We think that the same way I came to Jesus is the same way someone else should come to Jesus. No. Your experience is not God's formula. My experience is not God's formula. I am not God's standard. None of us is meant to be the standard of God's work and God's ways. He says in Isaiah that my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. These people probably they had experienced Jesus' power or they had seen him heal people by touching them. And they concluded this is how it happens. And so they bring to him and beg Jesus to touch him so he can heal him. When we point people to Jesus Christ, we must be willing to accept how God is going to minister to them. This is why ministry requires a lot of patience. 
We must accept how God is planning and willing to minister to his people. You know why? Because even salvation is a mystery. It is a mystery. When you sit down and hear people's testimonies, you will be surprised at how God met people where they were. When you read the Bible, especially the series that we are doing right now, Encounters with Jesus Christ, you will be surprised at how Jesus encounters people. And every encounter is different. Because he works in mysterious ways. And you know, salvation is a gift, right? It is a, it is a gift. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9. By grace are we saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, right? We can't earn it. The nature of a gift is that, one, someone else pays for it. Our salvation was paid for by Jesus Christ. That's the nature of a gift. You don't earn it. You don't pay for it. It's a gift. But the other nature of a gift is that it is offered to you. I remember on Christmas, I think it was Christmas Eve when I was, was it Christmas Eve or the Christmas service on the 26th? One of them, I was about to leave and then Miles called my name. And he brought a gift. And of course he said nice words. That's miles. And, and, <laughs> and he said this is our gift. I did not work for it. And, and thank you so much for that gift. Someone else pays for it. It is offered to you. And you are to receive it. You, you can receive it. It is meant to be received. Now, I could have said to Miles, if I had allowed my pride to take over, I'm not taking it. This morning, uh, my dear sister here gave me cookies. Two cookies. I could have said, no, thank you. I received it. God, through Jesus Christ, offers salvation as a gift. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. John chapter 1 verse 12 verse 13 tells us children who are not born by human will but by God's will. As many as received him. It is a gift. There is receiving. 
Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Here is the tension. If it's a gift and it can be received, then it can also be rejected. Now, some of you will struggle with that. A gift is never forced on anyone. You don't force a gift to someone. God doesn't force his gift to anyone. If salvation is a gift, it can be received. And it is meant to be received. But it, has, it can also be rejected. Now, when we point people to Christ, when we, we point people to Christ by sharing our testimony, by inviting them to Bible studies, by inviting them to fellowships, or inviting them to church, that's how we point them to Christ. We cannot take anyone to Jesus Christ. We point them to him and pray and hope. That they will know what Christ offers for them and that they will respond to that. And within that, the Holy Spirit is at work. We cannot dictate how God is going to deal with his people. We can't. If it was my choice... If it was my choice, all of you would be dressing on suits and ties. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Our goal is to point people to Christ and let Christ deal with them and minister to them the way he wants. Salvation, my friends, is a mystery, and no one understands how. Now listen to this. No one understands fully how the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man works together. No one understands that. It's a mystery. And we need to be very comfortable in submitting to that. Do you know that this God that we believe in cannot be locked in a box? You cannot claim that you fully understand how he should work, even though sometimes when you are educated and when you read a lot of books, your pride will make you think that you have figured God out. Let me show you someone who thought that. In the same chapter, look with me. Turn with me to verse 27. So Jesus is with the disciples. He has rebuked them for their lack of understanding. The blind man has been brought to him so that he may touch him. Showing that these people had a, their prescription in mind. And then we will see how Jesus responds to that. But this idea of thinking we know how God should handle people or how God should do stuff is also 
the same truth is amplified in verse, from verse 27. Jesus, after this event, he walks to Philippi, Caesarea Philippi, with his disciples. And on the way, he asks them a question. He asks them, Who do people say I am? And they respond, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And then Jesus asks the disciples, and whom do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the anointed one of God. Peter makes a confession that is foundational for our faith. And Jesus, in Matthew, Jesus tells him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Jesus tells him that what you have just said is a revelation from God. He commends him. Now see what happened. Next. He then, in verse 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Jesus is teaching them. <laughs> And you know what Peter does? We are told he spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And he told him, Peter is telling Jesus, you are wrong. He rebukes him for saying, for teaching them that the Messiah will suffer and he will be killed. The same Peter that says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, is now rebuking the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter thinks that he knows more. He thinks that he has figured things out. And what does Jesus do this time? He doesn't commend him. In verse 33, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. There, he had, been, he had the revelation from God, but now his humanity is taking over. It happens to us all the time. We are tempted to think that our experiences are God's ways of doing things. It happens to churches all the time. We forget that we serve a mysterious God. And even though we don't understand him fully, we can still trust him and submit to him. I don't know exactly how God's sovereignty and man's responsibility work together, but I believe that they do. 
Faith does not tell God how to minister to his people. Faith accepts God's mysterious ways. Paul understood this truth when he said in 1 Corinthians verse 13 and 12, Paul, who had many revelations, many mysteries were revealed to him. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he says, For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. He understood that we cannot figure God out fully. We can only know what he has revealed to us. Number two. I only have two points here. We need to let Jesus walk us as he works on us. We need to let Jesus walk us as he works on us. I have seen people walk their dogs. And as they walk their dogs, they're also walking, right? In fact, they say it's healthy. But I've also seen people walking with their dogs. They're walking, and they, they have enough control on their dog. They don't, ha- they don't have to have it on a leash. They trust the dog because they have trained that dog. And the dog can wander along, but it will still come back. They are walking with the dog because they have worked on the dog. But there are points where when you are still working on the dog, you have to put it on a leash. The leash is meant to control how far the dog can go, where it can go. The leash is meant to control the dog. And as Christians, we go through the same process in our spiritual life. Jesus is illustrating this in this passage. When they bring him to touch so that he may touch him and heal him, we are told from verse 23, he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Dan, can you come here? I know you are not blind, but I just want you to assume that you are blind. Okay. Yeah, come here. Don't, don't fear me. I'm very loving. And <laughs> so this man has been brought to Jesus so that he may touch him and heal him. But instead, Jesus takes him by the hand and he leads him out. Now, you are going to follow me, right? Because I'm the one who is leading you. (laughs) Yeah, you you might as well close your eyes. Uh, So Jesus leads him. and, And this man doesn't know where Jesus is taking him. 
But as Jesus takes one step, he also takes another step. Right? And I think what Jesus is doing here, he is building his faith. I think every step that he takes with Jesus is a step of faith. They expected him to touch him and heal him. Jesus touched him for the first time. He wasn't healed. Instead, he walks him. And then, at a certain point, I'm not going to spit on your eyes, <laughs> but Jesus spits on his eyes. He spits on his eyes, and he can feel it. And then he touches his eyes, and then he asks him, do you see anything? And the man opened his eyes and looked and he said, I see people like trees walking around. I think Jesus asked him because he knew that he was not fully healed. Because Jesus is illustrating this to the disciples. He's telling them, you still have a long way to go to understand these things. You are still seeing partially. And then Jesus touched him again. And this time when he opened his eyes, he saw clearly. He walked him as he walked on him. And then after that, do you know what Jesus did? He sent him. He said, don't go back to the village. Go to your hometown. Go there. You can go now. <laughs> don't go back to the village. Go to your hometown. He walked him as he walked on him, and then he sent him. After walking on him, Jesus had confidence now that this man, his faith is on me. He will trust me. He will continue to believe in me, and he can serve me. Go. The same thing he does with his disciples after training them, he sends them. He tells them in Matthew 28, go into the world and preach the gospel and I will be with you. As we bring others to know Christ, we should also allow Jesus to walk us, to teach us because he leads us, and he works on us. He continues to shape us. He continues to build our faith. He continues to enable us to understand him. This is not about a second touch. It's about another touch. You and I today, we have the Holy Spirit who is walking us and working on us. Every believer has the Holy Spirit in him. He continues to 
sanctify us. He continues to remind us of Jesus Christ and what he's doing in our lives. He's walking us and he is working on us. And the Bible warns us about the Holy Spirit. It tells us in Ephesians 4, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. In Ephesians 4, 30, don't grieve him. Do you know why the Bible says don't grieve? Because we can grieve him. The Bible tells us, don't be afraid, because we can be afraid. It tells us in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. And I, I have spoken about grieving the Holy Spirit here. But it also tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.19-22, it tells us, do not quench the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve. Don't quench. And the reason the Bible is warning us against doing that is because we can do it. We can refuse to listen to the Holy Spirit. And we do have Christians that are not listening to the Holy Spirit. And then in Galatians 5.16, it tells us, Walk according to the spirit and you shall not satisfy the desires of the flesh. Don't grieve, don't quench, quench, quench or quench? Quench. Walk according to him. Listen to him. Obey him. And you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. And you read Galatians 5, it will tell you about those desires, which are sinful desires. And it will tell you also the good desires that the Spirit brings in us. The Holy Spirit continues to touch us as we allow him to work on us. He continues to touch us. He convicts us when we go astray. He convicts us. You sin as a Christian, you feel uncomfortable. He empowers us to do God's will. And he continues to speak to us through God's word. It's not about the second touch. It's about another touch. And another. And another. The Holy Spirit has used Many of you to touch me. The other day he used Elaine to touch me. There's a day, many days, he's used miles in our conversations to touch me. He's used many of you. He's used Victoria, wonderful lady, and the heart that the Lord has given. And in our conversations, I've just seen the Lord touching me. 
on Friday, when I visited Bob, the Holy Spirit used him to touch me. I have never seen, well, maybe I have, but I, no, I've never seen a man who has such faith in God. Now, Bob told me, he told me, I thought this was going to be quick. He's already prepared to go. I thought this was going to be quick. I didn't expect it to take this long. But I'm going to wait. And I'm looking at him. I'm supposed to be Shedding tears here. But he's looking forward. And that touched my heart. Because I don't know how. I don't know how that happens without God. I don't know. The Holy Spirit has used my wife several times to touch me. He has also used my mother. I think it was my second year in Bible college and I was preparing a message on Psalm 23. And uh, I would come in the evening to meet my mother and we would pray together. So I think it was on a, a Wednesday and we were praying and I told her, just pray for me. I'm trying to prepare a message from Psalm 23 and it's, I'm not getting a breakthrough. I'm not feeling the peace. And my mother prayed for me. The next day we met and he asked me, is your message read? I said, no. And I was getting frustrated and we prayed together on a Friday evening. I'm supposed to have the message ready and it's not on Friday evening we are praying and my mother asks me again, is your message ready? And my wife does the same too. I almost every, She would ask me, is the message ready? And, and I know she prays for me. And I told her, no, it's not. And she said, I can help you. You know, I'm in my second year of Bible college. You know, I've read some books. I look at my mother, I'm like, Mom. I'm the one in the college. You know, what what do you know about Psalm 23? My mother said, "I, I can help you. And I I ignored her that Friday. And I went and struggled and I failed. Again, the message wasn't coming through. Saturday morning we met. She asked me again. And I told her, I'm really frustrated now. I'm frustrated with myself. And she said, I can help you. I said, you can't help me. You 
don't know anything about Psalm 23. Do you even know who wrote Psalm 23? And my mother looked at me and she said, I know the shepherd. And that was enough for me. That humbled me. That touched me. I know the shepherd. See, here I am thinking that I know so much and I was missing the most important person in Psalm 23, who is the shepherd. You and I have to focus on Jesus. Let him deal with people the way he wants and allow him to deal with us the way he wants. Allow him to walk us as he works on us. Because my friend, it's not really about, people talk about the second touch. You need the second touch. It's not about the second touch. It's about another touch. There are and there will be moments in your life that God, if you continue to walk faithfully, he will keep on touching you and touching you and touching you and touching you until you and I become fully like his son, Jesus Christ. And we need to allow him to do that. And maybe, maybe you will also say, I know the shepherd. Father, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that you give us moments like this to remind ourselves who we are before you and who you are to us. Help us to accept your word. Help us to focus on you. Help us, Lord, to submit to you. In Jesus' name, amen.